I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. I'm just going to start and then we're going to, we're going to go from there. Okay. It's, it's the best place at the beginning of the journey. All right. My wife asked me to sink her phone. So I dropped it in the lake. I don't see what she's so upset about. <laughs> as long as you give her your credit card to buy a new one. Oh my gosh. Uh, I tried to visit a weight loss website, but they require you to have cookies disabled. Oh, that's a bummer. That's a little bit of a joke grenade. A joke Just grenade. let it let it go off. Boom. Boom. You know what I learned? What? I don't I don't like tea. Like I've known I don't like tea since I was a kid. Like like even with a giant pixie stick full of sugar in it. Oh god no. It still tastes tea? it still tastes like tea. If it tastes like tea, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. But I learned that in 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 like within the last week. Um a Brit made me a cup of hot tea, which I was not going to drink because I don't like tea. And they're like, no, no. If you dip this little biscuit in it, then it's really good. I'm like, whatever. So I dip the biscuit in it and I eat the biscuit. And it's an excellent substitute for cookies and milk. But because it's tea and this rich tea cracker, you get the impact of cookies and milk. You don't taste the tea and it's 40 calories. Oh, Lord. Did he tell you about the caffeine? No. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> you think coffee will get you hyped. Why do you think the British all drink tea, man? They're like, would you like a cuppa? Would you like a cup? It's like they're doing cocaine. Well, that's true. <laughs> Old but, ladies are like having tea at three o'clock for a reason. Oh, well, well, this actually happened at like midnight. So, oh, okay. Well, I love that you're finding. Okay. They say that you must try to embrace the things that you almost hate. Try, learn to love the things you almost hate. Well, I, I did. It, it, the, my, my hate of tea stems back to my childhood with my dad at Long John Silver's when I thought I was going to have a drink of Coke and it turned out to be tea. And my relationship with tea has been shattered for the better part of four decades. Wow. So, yeah. But now the rich tea biscuit has possibly solved a little bit of the, you don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe a little, like I'm not going to go so far as to, as to buy my own tea, but if I was I'm about gonna, to say, are you going to go to the, to no. the store and get the, the, what is it? The, uh, the tips, the PG tips. Oh, that's, that's what they all use. Yeah. They, they love that stuff, but yeah, no. Ready for the third dad joke? Let me have it. Yesterday, I read an article about the dangers of drinking too much. Mm -hmm. it scared the hell out of me. So today I decided never to read it again. <laughs> Excellent plan. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was going down the list with you of yes. uh, topics that um, I'm curious about, one of the things that I came across seemed to excite you to some degree. Oh, yes. This And it's this week's episode, which is essentially songs that I got talked out of putting on a record. Yes. Why is that so interesting to you? Well, I think first off, because you own it. Most people won't say that. 
Oh, know. really? Most people won't say that I wanted this on the record, but somebody talked me out of it. Yeah, no. They might say I really wanted this on the record, but the label wouldn't let me. The big dumb label. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, and you're like, there's songs that I really wanted to put on a record, but somebody convinced me it was a bad idea. Somebody convinced me it was a bad idea. Okay, well, then. I like to. Let's hear them. <laughs> okay. You're for, would you like to know the reasons beforehand? Is that be more fun so that you can commiserate with the person that Possibly. was trying to keep me from stepping in the pothole? Yeah. Okay. This first song is off uh, 52 this year, and it is the penultimate song. Which, mm-hmm. if you go look up, because I like to at least trip you up a little. Oh yeah, we we looked this up. We looked this recently. up recently. Yep. It is not the last. It is the next to last. Yes. The before the end is, I think, technically what the 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 definition is. But the penultimate song on on fifty two this year, and is called uh, "If You Gotta Go Now." Mm-hmm. And there's just so much to say about this song. Um, I enjoy it. But I understand um, that I was walking around already because I'm the writer and the singer mm-hmm. with intrinsic knowledge of the fault in the song. Right. I know that mm-hmm. it's baked into the song and uh, the song is based on the idea of, well, if you got to go now and I bet you guess you better go. Right. Um, and it's a breakup song. Okay. Surprise. <laughs> um, and I wrote it with Jeff Cohen and Matt Thiessen. And Jeff and I had written earlier in that same day, because I like to write multiple songs within the couple of hours that I have of intention, because I'm just not scared of writing a lot. And I kind of trust that if we think it's good right now, it's probably going to be good in a month. Right. Right. And Matt uh, is in a band called Reliant K. Mm-hmm. And he that's a more of a Christian band. And he had come to town. He had he had moved from Los Angeles. And um, when I went to look him up, because he was one of the first co-writes I had here, I, I Wikipedia taught me all about Matt Thiessen so that I was well informed and I didn't step in, you know, misspeaking when I was around a rather famous creator. Right. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> he was super down to earth, super chill, super everything. And then like. Didn't even blink an eye when we started talking about his ex-girlfriend, Katy Perry. Like, it didn't bother him at all. It was fine. And I was just trying not to say anything because, you know, I'm sure everybody talks to him about that. Right. right? I was just trying to be the guy who didn't. And uh, he was just sweet, kind. And Jeff Cohen is like an old friend of mine that is, um, well, he's not old, but he is a, a, a longstanding friend of mine. Yes. Who is incredibly creative. And like one of the most brave, courageous will jump off the bridge anytime with half a parachute on songwriter. And that's why I just keep calling him (laughs) Um, because he's as crazy as I am. And uh, the first song we wrote was Lover Money based on I said, hey, well, Matt, when did you? He said he just moved to town. I said, well, why'd you move? You moved for love or money? He said, I don't know, but we're writing that song. (laughs) Right. And so later on, we were talking about relationships and I had just gotten out of mine and we were talking a little bit about what that's like. And as a musician, especially people um, that, uh, I don't know, in my relationship, I'm only going to speak about me because it's probably, I don't have any business speaking about other people's relationships, but we got along real well when talking about the same topic, Uh which was uh, 
How many times have you heard this? When are you going to cut your hair? When are you going to take me dancing? When are you going to stop playing the guitar so loud? When are you going to go? Would you please stop watching the game? Won't you come in here and do this? But You know, if you don't change, this is not going to work out. And then we both were like in PTSD giggles going, well, you know, it'd be fun. As he said, well, if you got to go, maybe you got to go. And I'll put the keys over there. And how funny would it be in that sort of interchange? Suddenly, the the woman who had everything to say to you, mm-hmm. just a not at a loss for words at how much change should happen in your life, <laughs> suddenly can't speak. Like, wait, what? Yes. You mean you got nothing left to say? Well, really? So what it it became a really fun song to write, but essentially during the verses... It's her saying this to you. Right. And during the choruses, it's you saying this to her. If you got to go now, go. Right? Super simple. As I then demoed the song, then played it for friends, starting that long ago. We're talking at the very beginning of Christian's solo career. The song has been sitting here. And everyone keeps going, yeah, no. And I was like, why is it too, like, does it make the female seem too naggy? Is that a bad thing? Isn't this a common giggle of a funny song like if we can make fun of it then it take the sting out of it and they were like no we just can't decide if you're writing for a girl or a guy and I was like but it's both like there's two in there and then I thought oh oh it's a duet I need to do and then when I did that it was worse (laughs) right and then I was like oh this must be a failure of a song And then every time I would put it on a list, it would get taken off the list. People would talk me out of putting it on. So I agreed with them and agreed with them. And so the way that I best described it when I was defending this to the the jury of my children who were trying to judge my songs like they normally do as children, Mm -hmm. I I had to use uh, use my right hand as a sock puppet and I would act the song like the sock puppet would sing to me the verses and then I would sing to the sock puppet puppet the, the, the choruses and they would fall on the floor laughing. They thought it was so funny. Sounds like we need a sock. <laughs> you almost broke me right there. <laughs> uh, no, we don't. But we are going to listen to the song. You ready? Yeah. OK, now, you know, the pitfalls. Yes. You need to be asking yourself, would you also talk me out of the song? That's well, the that's spectator sport we're going for right well, now. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say that it, the way you sold it was, oh, you don't like it because the woman is too naggy. As a female, I I don't I don't want to be perceived as as naggy. And it sounds like you, you wrote a song about a naggy, naggy woman. You know what this could be? You're looking at this all wrong. OK, let me this could be a teaching hospital. If you hear any of these things come out of your mouth. Uh huh. That's the self-awareness you need to know. Am I moving too close to the edge? Well, but what if they're all true? What if you need to do all of those things to be a better human? Oh, sweet love. Lesson one of relationships. Uh-huh. You can't change the other person. They have to change themselves. But if you don't highlight the areas of opportunity, <laughs> how do they know? Oh, wow. I love this podcast. (laughs) Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Game on.
Did you hear a word I said? Why am I the only one who makes the bed? Why you gotta play that guitar so damn loud? Are you really gonna wear those pants? And when you ever gonna take me dancing? You know I'm gonna leave if we can't work this out. If you gotta go now, guess you better go the first time you've got nothing left to say I'll get through it somehow even though it's dark tomorrow's gonna be a better day tell me when you're gonna shave your face I think I might redecorate this place I'm gonna need some more closet space for sure your frames one time can't you skip the game if you don't change boy i'm heading out the door if you gotta go now guess you better go for the first time you've got nothing left to say i'll get through it somehow even though it's dark I mean, people talked me out of putting that on a record for a long time. I understand. You you would have talked me out of it? I don't, I, I don't know, but I, I can understand how there might be confusion over who's talking when um, the verses versus the chorus. But I also think, <laughs> what if... She wants you to change your pants because she's allergic to the fabric and it breaks her out in hives and she wants to touch you, but she can't because your pants make her itch. Okay. So and, and, and this, what this if, brings up deal breakers. Well, hang on. I'm not done. <laughs> and, 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 and what if, and what if your guitar is waking up the sleeping baby who has colic and cries all night long? And this was the only time the baby naps. Look, Mr. Murdoch was not necessarily defensible. No. This, on the other hand, is a defensible position. Is it? It is. I mean, this is funny. It's supposed to, like, at any point during the song, did you 
go, uh, yeah, I, I, now, yeah, I get it. I get it. No, not really. But I got to stay on team girlfriend or whatever. No, you know what I mean? No, like, no, I didn't have that experience. Does it, <laughs> does it sound like there were extenuating circumstances that you keep talking about? Or did it feel like, oh my God, well, do you think this was just male bonding is all this is? Yeah. I do. I think that somebody, somebody did not want to do their fair share. <laughs> so they, they made somebody else the bad guy and wrote a song about them. Now that was the sweetest, happiest. If you're not paying too much attention, that was a fun song. Inside of it is Christian just snickering that sometimes as kind and nice as I am, I find myself in relationships where women are like, man, I should redecorate this place and I'm going to need some more closet space. You think you could renovate that for me? And I'm like, am I even here? Am I, am I in the room? Okay. Now, excuse me. So, so and if it's so bad that you've got, you've decided, boy, if you don't change, I'm going to leave. Then the best possible thing we could do right now is probably break up. Okay. So I don't disagree with that. I don't think that you should have to shave your face or renovate your house for closet space. Period. I think that's extreme. I think, though, you know, having been in situations myself where somebody wore something completely inappropriate, you need to be able to say, so hi, have you thought about possibly maybe not wearing the basketball shorts to church on Easter Sunday? <laughs> yeah, but yes, I, <laughs> I, totally, I get it. I get it. But you're talking about at least Matt Thiessen, Christian Bush, and Jeff Cohen, probably three of the well-dressed men in Nashville. Like, like this is a joke to us right. that any people in our world would tell us these things. But what we were trying to do is connect the dots. It was, <laughs> it was funny. Let me put it this way. Yes. How do you feel about women who go on a first date, they come back and they're like, Oh my gosh, our kids are going to be named Chase and Kevin and, and Cindy, and we're going to, we're going to get married on the so-and-so. I just love this guy. He's so good. I mean, I could really see this working out. And you're like, you crazy girl. Yeah. You don't even know him. Right. True. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's some moments where girls will be like, you cray. Yeah. But in this, this instance, because you've done some of these things, you won't say you cray. Well, like I said, I think that there are extreme circumstances. I don't think it is inappropriate to ask someone to change their clothes if they are dressed inappropriately yes i do think because did you write this song for yourself or did you write it for other people because if three of the best dressed men in town write a song about being possibly irritated about being asked to change their clothes if they wrote it for themselves that's one thing but if they wrote it for the masses that's another because I the know. masses don't you know, aren't, aren't as well. My um, only defense, compiled. my only defensible position with this whole song yes. is minus one line, which is one time. Won't you skip the game? I really don't go see sports. I, yeah. But every single other line in this song has been said to me before. Somebody told you to shave. Yes. I mean, what, were you like prickly and hurting or something? I, I I'm not defending the situation I'm saying it's, it's country music. So I told the truth. Fair enough. And I giggle every time I hear this song. Now it turns out I've been talked out of putting this on every record because they're trying to save me from 
I don't know, embarrassment Yourself? or myself or getting judged or something. Because women but, may not like you after they hear that song. No, but you know what? We got, it got so interesting to me that the only thing we changed is I asked my brother to put a tuba in it, in the solo. Because if you hadn't figured out that this is funny yet, I need to remind you with the boom, boom, boom. It's supposed to be funny. Like, see, I think I was just, yeah, you no, took it too seriously, I did. didn't you? I did. You need to add a trombone. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, um, I love that that this song does have plenty of controversy, which makes it probably a good reason why people have been talking to me out of putting it on a record. Whew. I snuck it in on the next to last song in 52 piles, you know, like this pile of 52. So you could try to talk me out of it. (laughs) I snuck it on. It's too late. Um, oh gosh. All right. This one's going to be fun because I am for sure convinced you've never heard this song. Okay. When we put Sugarland together. I've talked about this before. One of our our processes of auditioning people was to write a song together. Right. And I've I've referenced this song a couple times because I say and you know Baby Girls the second song we wrote together once Jennifer came into audition. But occasionally somebody would ask me, "Well, what was the first song?" I'd be like, I kind of pull away from the microphone and said, "Oh, yeah, no, you don't know about that." And it's this next song. And uh, it's not bad, but it definitely is maybe what she thought country music was at the time, uh-huh. combined with my joyous joy of wanting to write anything. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we were playing around with sort of learning the convention of, I don't know, what... The Atlanta acoustic folk rock audience might think country music is. Mm-hmm. And we were also laughing. Maybe this is the through line I didn't realize until this second. <laughs> this song has a lot of humor in it, but mm-hmm. might be just specific to us. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a, a, a Sugarland song that never came out on the major label. It did come out. This was on the very small. Um, independent thing that we released that only existed for about two or three months before the label just bought it and said, you're done. We will take it from here. Did they burn it? And, uh, what they did is they just casually kept not putting it on the list. (laughs) So it wasn't just the big bad label, but even, even friends were like, maybe we ought not put that on there. (laughs) So this, we got talked out of putting this song on the record. This is called honky tonk heaven.
So the next song we wrote was Baby Girl. Well, it's good you got that out of the way. <laughs> so you did talk to us out of that one too, right? You know what it, it sounds like? It sounds like a song that they would play under the food tent at the Sevier County Fair. You're on fuego today. I like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I what I, I I haven't heard that in so long. Um, but what I do hear is us trying to figure out the sound of the band. Um, I hear it like there's super traditional. Like there's a lot of mandolin in that. Yeah, I had just bought a mandolin like maybe three weeks before that, and I was just trying to figure out how to play it. Yeah, you, you had you needed to realize how to use it. I, I just didn't know, and I was using it as a uh, um, as a flavor. Right. Because uh, in Billy Pilgrim, Andrew kind of played the mandolin all the time. He was really good at it. And um, I'd really never picked it up. And also I hear like us figuring out maybe for the first time how powerful a chorus can be. Yeah. Like we, we that's a big chorus, even though it's not saying much. Mm-hmm. We're just playing with heaven and hell and angels. And, uh, uh, and, and then I hear the furniture of what we think country music is at the time, which is kind of funny, clove cigarettes. And, and we're even like, there's a lyric in there about Buddha, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but it's all the things that you would draw on a poster. Like there's Cadillacs and rhinestones and things that are kind of were obviously we thought would be the language of what makes what you want to talk about in country music. (laughs) But um, also I really think that there's a lot of interesting, like Jennifer still trying to like move from singing the like Ani DeFranco ish type of vibe that she was into, into singing her accent. Right. Right. And, and I hear like she, she doesn't do a lot of that super low stuff in this band, but she did in her previous band a lot. Really? There's a lot of like, she would, she had like a very low, she'd go from very low range to a a higher range and a lot of vibrato and, um, but she, you know, she had control of her voice back then. A lot of people don't even have now, but, uh, that's really interesting. That was the, hi, how you doing? Hi, should we write a song? Yeah. This is the first time. And that's what you came up with. And that's what we came up with. Have you ever talked an artist out of putting a song on a record? No, I don't think so would you if i was about to hurt myself would you yeah probably yeah because what i did do is i convinced a a duo to like ditch their entire creative and go a different route i did do that and they listened and then it won a grammy so there you go did that feel right oh yeah and they still thank me for it for sure um do you know when you're being listened to at that level to where you might affect change Sometimes and sometimes not, you know, I think that it's, it's interesting because I always approach it. If somebody, if someone asks my opinion, I assume that they want it, but they don't a lot of times <laughs> they want me, they want me to guess what's on their mind and repeat it to them. Oh, wow. That's very astute. You know, yeah. and I'm not great at, at that. I've just, you know, when you, when you write about music for 20 freaking years, you spend a whole lot of time thinking about it and kind of getting comfortable with what your thoughts are. 
when you're a journalist, you don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about, okay, what would they want me to say? Yeah, probably. You know, so it's, it, that's never my default. What would they want me to say is, is never my default. So when someone asks what I think, it's hard for me to remember that that's really what they're asking me is to repeat what's on their mind. All right. Do you think that you could handle the responsibility of, um, being at a label and having to make that call? I lo- by the way, I love the game I'm about to play with you. By the, I, I do it with a lot of people on purpose because I'm, I'm trying to help perspective happen. I think it, it. I think it depends on the artist a lot. I mean, I do because to be honest, I have several I've, over the course of my career. There's been many times where you know a label will send me something and say, "What should the singles be?" All right. Or sit or will have me sit down with an artist and be like, well, what do you think? What should we do here? Mm-hmm. So. And because typically if I mean, I'll say the things aren't being said here. Uh, artists have a very hard time really seeing themselves the way other people see them. Yes. And it is invaluable to have someone around that can reflect back to you what's actually happening rather than your fantasy wish or what your conviction is like, and sometimes it's very hard to hear as an artist. Well, they don't like it. Yeah. To, to say, here's all my songs. And they say, well, the song that's most you is this, the song that will succeed on the radio the most, it will be this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I find it very curious how much that conversation changes when the person with the opinion has to spend a million dollars of their own money that they could retire on yeah. rather than the label's money or rather than the artist's money. Right. Because I sometimes think there's a conviction to being right. You know, like a lot of times these record labels have like, I've seen it happen over and over again. Where What you do is they're picking a song that's probably not your best song and it's probably not the thing that is going to like wow the world but it if that guy or that girl at that label thinks that that's the one and they're willing to put their name and a million dollars behind it right you should let them yeah because it's only gonna get you further right. even if they're wrong and every day that they're wrong they're gonna sink more money into it because the thing that human beings hate to be is wrong yeah <laughs> they want to be right and especially in that particular job you're gambling right I don't know. This is a this is a real conversation a lot of people have. I mean, I had it just yesterday with another person. Yeah, no, I I hate like it's like backseat driving or something. I remember once I hate writing reviews because I think that lots of times music is subjective, and what I think is the best song in the world, someone else might hate, and vice versa. So one time, an artist. There was a song that I still hate, and I wrote something that said, I may have told this story on the podcast before, I wrote something that said, country music fans will love it. That's all I said. The label, <laughs> the label called me and said, we're going to need you to go to lunch with this person. I said, why? Oh, because this, this needs to be a better than that sentence and they situation. Said, and they said, well, we know you hate the song. I'm like, I just said country music fans will love it. And they said, we know, but we also know that means you hate it. And we need you to like this guy. Oh my gosh. So I had to go yeah. to lunch with him. 
Okay. I mean, he went on to win song of the year, but not with that song. Right. Right. So, you know, I think, I do think music is subjective. I think that, is, I think that it's really easy to have strong opinions about what somebody else should do when they're spending their own money. You know, it's like, well, why didn't this person do this? Why didn't this person do that? Well, you spend your money and do what you want to do. Oh, you don't want to do that? You want somebody else to take all the risk, but you want to. Right. Okay. Right. So I have two uh, anecdotal conversations to have here at the very end. Okay. One is um, the situation where in our setup of conversation today. Yes. I think that it is easier to talk someone out of putting a song on the record Mm -hmm. than it is to pick what you think is going to be their smash. Right. It's playing defense rather than offense. Like, hey, man, you got a basket. It's going to have six eggs in it. That one, don't put that one in. Put all the rest in. You know what I mean? I think that's a a kinder way to help move people forward. Yeah. Then it is going, hey, look at all my eggs and songs in this basket. Which one do you think is the prettiest? And you're like... Ooh, I can tell you my opinion, but you know, it's just an opinion. And that's normally the question I get. Right. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to it, artist whispering has a lot of nuance to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in both these cases today, I have been nuanced. I've been manipulated <laughs> and I'm just saying it happens and I'm 52 and I'm willing to talk about it. Uh, and in both cases, I think it might be. From Miss Journalist, check marks on both. <laughs> well, Christian, you know what? Your friends are keeping you off the button. Great, great, great. I, I want you to also know that as successful as I have been and as consistently lucky, which sometimes people mistake for talent, right? I remember very vividly sitting in the office of Mr. Jason Flom and he played me a song. And I knew the song because I knew the band because that band had been playing REM covers at the frat next to me where I was playing also REM covers with my frat band. (laughs) And I'd gotten stoned on the U-Haul trailer, you know, out back in between sets with these guys. And I'd heard the same song on three of their albums that still weren't selling. Right. And I had been told by the guy who signed us to a record deal in New York after our record was on its way about to come out. And he said, what do you think about this, man? This is it. And I was like, I don't know, man. I've, they've been trying to get that song to go for like five years. And I think it's never going to work. I mean, it's, it's not, it's like, I mean, it's obvious, right? It's just too obvious of a song. I think you should try something else. I put it in the failure bucket. And Hold My Hand went on to sell 16 million records in one year for Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> so don't think that I know what I'm doing. I don't. I have no good picker in my entire body because as an artist, I live under the predis. Uh, I mean, I almost made up an accidental word right there. I live under the completely false premise that the best song ever written 
will be the most popular song ever. Well, I think that, do you know what I mean? Like I do, but I, I think that that could be right. I think you just have to think about what makes the best song or, and realize what makes the best song could be a multitude of different things. So, and I want you to know that I am Pavlovian, like a, like a reflex. Like you just tapped my knee and my, my leg kicked out Mm -hmm. when hold my hand happens anywhere around me. I start singing it. Like I can't escape that. Right. Reality of how good that song is. Right. But when you heard it before, did it sound like that? Yes. And I was 22 and jealous and also had succeeded in a place. Those guys are just getting signed to. Right. Right. So I, my perspective informed my like, I don't know, man, that's your call. Cause if it, in my heart, if it would have, if it was going to happen, it had happened on the first time they recorded it. Yeah. That never. Right. And yeah. the truth is, and what I did, mind you this mm-hmm. baby girl, we recorded five times. And oh, that, wow. and as we got to the third time we had recorded it for a different release, before we even got a record deal, I thought to myself, holy crap, it's just like hold my hand. Everyone loves it every time we play it. This is why we keep putting it on records. We just need a bigger megaphone, Yeah, which is the label. And I, I learned that the 22-year-old punk-ass me sitting in that office uh, was wise enough to go to school on the one thing that I got wrong. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, thank goodness. And, and of course, you know, I know those guys because we all went through all this together. Right. Um, but it's amazing how much you don't know about what magic sounds like. <laughs> well, I think it's all up for interpretation. What well, sounds like magic to you might not be magic to somebody. Can else. you imagine somebody trying to talk them out of putting "Hold My Hand" on a Hootie and Blowfish record? Hey, man, I don't know. Those songs are great, except that one. Yeah, I keep that one off of it. Like, well, I think, but it'd be funny to call like Darius or Mark or any of those guys and be like, "Did anybody ever try to talk you out of this one?" That'd be funny. We should invite them on and ask. Okay. Yes. I want you to like sneak that question into the, like one of the next interviews you do and then tell me about it you mean with Darius no no with anybody like hey did you you have any has anybody ever tried to talk you out of a song being on a record yeah I mean because our favorite conversation among writers is what's the worst song you've ever done and uh I I said this to you earlier in the day and you were like please can we and I'm like no you don't want to hear that that's that's for when you know me personally and we've had too much to drink and I'm playing you the worst songs ever written but then you played it and it was it was a riot (laughs) It was a, it was a, it was a gum smacking riot. Oh, well, Cindy, I always love going through the, uh, the shame spiral of talking me out of song. Shame spiral. <laughs> Sounds like a band name. Shame spiral. Shame spiral tap. <laughs> I love it. Until next week. Yes. Hey everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. 
If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.